0: And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities.
1: Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten.
0: As always, it is Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical joined by the ever and always excited Duncan Evans. How we doing today?
1: Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, not bad. We have um, we've had our British heat wave, which was mm. uh, we reached the hottest uh, temperatures we have ever reached here. It was pretty intense, I've got to say. So we we, we surpassed 40, not where I am, not in Leeds, but in Leeds, we got up uh, to, I, I don't know, some, something in the 38, 39 sort, sort of range. Um, it was pretty intense, it's quite humid here. I mean, I know you you guys understand this because you have it all the time, um, but yeah, it was kind of scary and it reminds me that uh, climate change is is pretty scary, an existential threat that we need to tackle. But you know, it's not a political yeah. show, so we won't get into that too much. Well, but, uh, you know,
0: climate change is not a pol- political issue. Climate change is a scientific issue. And, yeah, well, but yeah. some people make it political. But that's yeah. besides the point. We uh, yeah.
1: need the politicians to do something about it. But anyway, that's my <sighs> the end of my rant about it. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I, you know, I I don't. I'm going to say this about politics, and then I'm going to shut up. Yeah. Right now, every elected official in the state of Missouri, right now, to me, except for maybe one or two, is an abject embarrassment. That's all I'm right. going to say about politics today, and sure. that includes the people on my side. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but uh, you know, here in St. Louis, we are actually uh, coming out of a heat wave, right? Today is the last day of this god awful heat wave where we have been at forty and higher, yeah, for yeah. about three, four weeks straight. Normally, we get those temperatures here in Missouri for about a week, a week per summer, and it's been summer. That has been this summer. And it has been truly awful. We're going to drop down 20 degrees Fahrenheit tomorrow. We're going to be at 81, which is about 22 Celsius. So I am looking forward to that. I am going to wear my woolen great coat, maybe a scarf, probably some gloves, because it's going to be so cold tomorrow. And I'm here for it. And hopefully my car will uh, in in extreme temperatures, my car does not perform well. That is right. up or down because it's electric. So of course, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Spring and fall, it's amazing. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He, here at uh, at Casa Cameron, it has been more of the same. We, my wife and I, had an impromptu date night last night, which was lovely. Uh, working on still getting settled into this house. Working on getting the other house ready for rental and a moving sale because we downsized today. I am happy to say we went and because we do Sunday morning movies here at AMC yeah. movie theater. They have an amazing deal on Sunday mornings.
1: Okay. So, so we, what did when, you see?
0: Uh, so when we go to do family movies, nine times out of 10, it's Sunday morning this okay. week. We saw minions, the rise of Gru. Okay, now,
1: it's not one that I particularly have on my list, but um, yeah, was it good?
0: Well, the kids saw it in San Francisco with her uncle while okay. she was out of town a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, "Dad, you're gonna love it." Okay, and so I, you
1: weren't even going for her; you were going because you wanted to see it yourself. We okay.
0: we have been seeing the this this is the fifth movie in the series, and we've seen all of them in the theater. I mean, going back to. From before the kid was born, so yes, sure. I mean we were gonna see this regardless. But uh, you know, she's like, "I know you're gonna love it." It this time, th- this is another prequel. It is based very much on the Kill Bill story. So, oh was, wow, okay. The storytelling wow. devices were Kill Bill. There was a moment in time when all the minions, after they learned kung fu, were wearing the bride's. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, uniform. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean all kinds of stuff like that, and then on top of that, it was based in the '70s, so it was very music based. You know where he, mm-hmm. you know, the criminal headquarters was at a place called Criminal Records, which was a record store. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: you know they told all kinds of you know musical jokes and and stuff like that. So I mean it was it was a lot of fun, cool. and of course as it was the '70s, everything was very vinyl focused. Which, as everyone knows, I am very vinyl focused. So.
1: Totally. Well, I guess that's a nice segue. So 70s, vinyl-focused rock music. Um, what are we talking about today?
0: We're talking about the solo record from Getty Lee called My Favorite Headache, which was released in the year 2000.
1: Yeah, of course, not in the 70s, but he is known as being the lead singer and bass player of Rush, who were initially a 70s band. Their inception was in the 60s, actually. 60s. No, was it? 1968.
0: Now, I don't know.
1: Was it? Okay. Okay. Now, keeping
0: in mind, 1968 is probably.
1: 68. Yeah, yeah. uh,
0: That's just. Okay, that's before. They didn't release
1: anything until about, what, 74 or something like that? And then they changed lineup after that one. Yeah.
0: When, in Getty, the, the first lineup only included Alex Lifeson. It didn't. That is the only classic member of the band that was there. Same drummer. Then they changed bass players. But yes, their first album was 1974. So, of course, they are rightly considered to be a 70s band. Their first album was 1974. As you said, they had a drummer named John Rutzi who, well, the way they put it in the documentary I watched was he just couldn't handle life on the road. Mm-hmm. and yeah. for them with their music being canadians trying to make it in america they were gonna have to make it on the road that's just mm-hmm. that was that was their path and it took them a few years to to really catch on even with touring constantly they they toured with kiss multiple times during this era mm-hmm. and so anyway so they, they they got rid of that drummer and brought in neil peart neil peart the late neil Peart is considered to be one of the greatest drummers of all time and oddly enough one of the greatest lyricists of all time so you know normally you say what's the what's the joke the joke is what's the last thing a drummer said before he got fired i don't know hey guys i wrote a song (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so they brought they bring in pierce Pert. I don't know how to pronounce it. I always say Pert, but I don't know. And he comes in and he immediately changes the dynamic of the band. They go from being a simple three, four, four, four blues based rock band, playing songs like Working Man into this band playing epic 30 and 40 minute tracks, upwards of 40 minute tracks. And Rush goes on this meteoric rise to cult-like status. I mean, they, they achieved cult-like, god-like status while playing very niche music and being very popular playing niche music and mm-hmm. to the point where their fans will go through brick walls for them. Mm-hmm. I myself have only recently confided to myself that I am in fact a Rush fan because I figure once you have six albums by a band, It's time to say you're a fan.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I think I've got at least that many. Um, I I used to be quite into them. I've never been a mega, mega fan. I think I've always found some of their stuff really, really works for me. And then some of their other stuff, like within the same album, just doesn't fly for me at all. And I find it a bit cheesy. But when they're great, they're really great.
0: I am a classic era Rush fan. Personally, I have things like moving pictures and uh, hemispheres you know the the real
1: yeah say, real. same here and 2112 of course
0: i don't have that but i do have the live record where they play all of it
1: right well okay so you you know it then you know yeah it i does. basically have it
0: because it's the, the question about how live is a live record from the 70s probably not very mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's that's besides the point so rush and the thing about Rush that makes it hard for me to be a giant fan of them is for the same reason why it's hard for most people to be a giant KISS fan. Mm-hmm. They have changed their style so many times.
1: Yeah, this is true. Absolutely. In the 80s, they went very, very synth-based and um, Geddy Lee was playing uh, bass pedals with his feet and then mm-hmm. playing the keyboards yeah. uh, with his hands and not actually playing a bass guitar a lot of the time and all this sort of stuff. And they had some really quite big hits in the 80s which sounded not very much like their 70s hard rock stuff Agreed. Um, but somehow I yeah I guess if you just accept it all as prog like nothing they've done really goes outside of the sphere of prog rock but they moved to every corner of that sphere at different points if a sphere can have corners you know what I mean
0: Basically, what they have done is any type of music, any single one of them can play, has made it into their songs.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's part of why they're prog, because I guess it's a, it's a prog thing to just throw loads of different styles and influences together that may seem disparate uh, or incongruous. And, and I, make work.
0: I mean, on the album Roll the Bones, Getty Lee was even rapping. Yeah, absolutely. Which I don't know that anybody needs that. No but you know they gave it a go they gave but, it a go. you know big props for him for putting it on an album and saying this is this is my truth this week and that's just kind of how rush's musical style is that is their style for this week if you think about things like roll the bones the aforementioned roll the bones or vapor trails which was their comeback record mm-hmm. or tom sawyer or working man or 2112 none of these songs have really much in common apart from in terms of sound apart from Getty Lee's voice Getty well Lee's, this is another
1: thing Getty Lee's voice is incredibly distinctive uh, Yes. so that yeah that that links it all together quite nicely
0: that's yeah. but I mean that's what keeps it semi-congruous yeah I agree I agree I agree without yeah. that it becomes this weird mission like if they had a normal singer or a singer that could do, Multiple registers and deliveries. Rush would be a very different band, and probably have a very different place in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As as for Getty Lee, though, you either love his vocals, or hate them, or can ignore them.
1: Well, you see, I I I like. I'm I don't know. Sometimes they're great on me. I'll be honest. Sometimes they do great on me, um, but. Most of the time, I like them. Most of the time, I like them. But it's some. Sometimes it's. I'm asking myself, do I like this or not? You know, it's like something that tastes really weird. I'm. I'm trying. I can't even think of a good
0: example now. I have you know. a great example. This week at work, one of my coworkers bought honey mustard pork rinds. Right. Okay. And he poured out, and I'm like, no. And he poured out a handful for me, and I ate every one he gave me. And then he poured out more, and I ate every one of those. And I uh-huh. still don't know if I liked them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's totally like that with Geddy Lee's voice for me.
0: Yeah, I can understand so, that. To me, I'm going to put you on the can ignore it side. Yeah, OK. Because yeah, his probably. voice is neither a positive nor a negative. Uh, I
1: guess so, but it is what makes them them. And I think if, it, if, it, yeah. if they didn't have that voice, then I probably wouldn't like them as much as I do. And I do like them.
0: Well, is it what makes them
1: them? Well, this is the question, because he's done a solo album,
0: correct?
1: And it so it his voice on it. So does it just sound like Rush? Well,
0: we'll get to that. We'll know. get to that. Let's yeah. let's pop in with Rush in nineteen
1: ninety seven. Mm-hmm. So, nineteen
0: ninety seven, Rush has been top of the pops for forever. They have gone back in the ninety, the late nineties, to their Hard Rock Records that did not even feature any keyboards, and they're touring for what is it? Oh God, they're they're out there touring. Test for Echo. Test for Echo, Echo, which is the last album before the real badness in Neil's life. So the aforementioned Neil Pert has a bit of a tragic story. At this time, his around this time, his daughter dies in a car crash. Mm -hmm. and not long after that his wife dies of cancer Mm -hmm. so immediately his whole world has basically been shattered Mm -hmm. and i can't even imagine what one of those things would feel like much less two. no matter how successful how fulfilled and how wonderful everything is we're all just three meals away from being on the street Mm -hmm. and he had two of those meals right you know two of them right then so he gets on his motorcycle and drives. Yeah. For years, he just drives all around North America. He put 55,000 miles on his motorcycle. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot.
1: And he wrote a book about it, I believe.
0: Yes, he did. He did. I probably should read that. And during this time, he was in very, very, very sparse contact with with Rush. So here and there, it would be a a phone call or a postcard during that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And during this time, uh, apparently, Getty Lee got an itch. And it's kind of weird. I mean, here's a quote from from Getty Lee about this album. Oh, where was it? I think I backed into this project. I've never had a great desire to make an individual statement, and I certainly didn't want any more attention. I satisfy so much of my musical self in the context of Rush, so I didn't have any great frustrations from that point of view. But once in a while, you'd wonder, what's it like out there? What's it like to work with other people? Now... So the lyricist is not there and now Getty Lee has to write all of his own lyrics again. 11 tracks, lots of lyrics there.
1: Mm, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. I'll keep going. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he, he gets with uh, a man named Bink. I'm sorry, Ben Mink. I was going to call him Bink. Uh, Canadian songwriter, yeah. multi-instrumental, multi-instrumentalist producer, uh best known longtime collaborator of Katie Lang, who's who's Canadian. I didn't know that.
1: I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, guitar player, but also plays violin and mandolin and stuff like that. Um co-wrote the music of this album, Um, also plays the guitars, but does some violins, violas, programming, string arrangements, and co-production and some engineering as well. So a good guy to have on board, uh, a multi-talented guy. Um, Yeah, Geddy Lee's also doing loads of stuff, bass, vocals, guitar, piano, programming, percussion, string arrangements, producing, and engineering. Um, So, yeah, they co-wrote it. Geddy Lee did all the vocals. The two of them did the music. Um, On drums, they have Matt Cameron. That Um, is an
0: interesting one.
1: Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, of course.
0: I would say Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, but, you know, six of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, So, yeah, that is an interesting one. I don't know quite how that came about. He's not from the same musical world. Often there's this perceived divide between prog rock and punk, and I guess Pearl Jam and Soundgarden would be on the punk side of that. Um, But having said that, you know what, Um, a lot of Pearl Jam stuff is quite melodic rockish, which of course Rush do, and a lot of Soundgarden stuff plays around with time signatures, and I guess does the whole, like that's a prog thing. So Yeah, so maybe it's not as weird.
0: Well, I mean, I I would also point out that I think that the the members of Soundgarden, most specifically Mr. Kim Thale, uh, like to play up in a theatrical manner, infer from that what you will, about the divide between all the genres of music. Uh uh This is a guy that talked about how much he hates metal and hopes that he had nothing to do with metal ever.
1: Oh, yeah, okay, right. But he's
0: also on a heavy metal record with Dave Grohl.
1: Well, yeah, and to be honest, Soundgarden kind of are metal. Kind of, yes. You judge them in 80s terms like they're they're probably more metal than anything else if if you forget that grunge was a thing, which it wasn't when they first started.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bad Motor Finger is a heavy metal record.
1: Yeah, sure. Totally is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Whatever he wants to say. So I think they played up that divide because that was in fashion at the time. Yeah. yeah. To pretend like those things mattered, And, you know, they weren't, you know, Miles Davis, I think, put it best when he said, you know, there's two kinds of music, good and bad.
1: Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, I'll listen Um, to, I still listen to disco, which...
1: Well, whatever. If it's good, it's good. You know, if it moves you, then it's uh, that's fine. Yeah. So there's various other people. like so a few on uh, additional percussion, a um, bit of steel guitar, backing vocals some cellos. Another guy, Jeremy Taggart, plays drums on one track, which is one of the singles, actually. But those three are the core band, Geddy Lee, Ben Mink and
0: uh, Cameron. Mr. Taggart, there is a Canadian radio host. Oh, okay uh, he was in a band called Our Lady Peace. There we go. One of the things about the Canadians is I mean in general, this they like to work together because I, I think Canada has a complex where they're part of the empire kind of they're part of America, kind of, and yeah. a lot of people outside those borders don't actually see them as a separate entity. I mean, they're under the queen and their biggest trade partner is America. Their governmental structure is English, but their culture is closer to American. So they they have this weird position in the world. Uh, And this is a great time to tell a story. So we're at work the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and one of my coworkers says, well, when did you come to America? I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. What she's like, well, have you always been here? Yeah. I've always been here. I mean, St. Louis. No, no, What? She's like, well, aren't you Canadian? (laughs) No, I'm not Canadian. I was born in Alton, which is just up the road. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's it's an exurb. And she's like, really? I'm like, you've known me for two years. (laughs) <laughs> and this whole time you thought I was Canadian?
1: Why? Just because you thought your accent was somehow Canadian?
0: My accent
1: is... I don't think you have a Canadian accent. No.
0: I have a straight up Midwestern American accent. Yeah, or is sure, I, sure, You know, the closest thing we have to the RP in the English accent.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, sure. It's,
0: it's the TV accent. It's nondescript. It's not interesting, which is the fact that I have this accent is what made it so hard for me to understand the concept of accents because right. we don't pronounce, we, you know, we don't have any odd pronunciations of our words mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. for the, in the St. Louis accent, which I don't have the precise St. Louis accent. Uh, some people say farty far" for 44.
1: What? Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: You know, That's interesting. Or they say ode instead of old, okay. wash instead of wash. Okay, yeah. I don't have those. I have the accent where we pronounce every letter as it's taught to us in school,
1: Uh-huh.
0: Sure, which is sure. an extremely uncommon accent in any language. <laughs> so it's just like the RP it's that's it's the American RP and it's, so I, I don't know why you would think I was from Canada. She's like, well, you connect everything to Canada. I'm like, yeah, it's funny. So did you speaking of Canadian and, and English and all that kind of business, did you notice the name of the album is misspelled?
1: Nope, I did not. Uh, Take a look at oh it. yes, well, hang on. Favorite. Well, it's spelled American. So, so in Canada they spell it with the U like we do in the UK. Is that correct? F-A-F-E.
0: Yeah, the the superfluous U.
1: Right. So they've obviously just gone for the American spelling because they. No, it's
0: in they, there. I have the U.
1: I don't have the U. No, I'm I mean, I'm the, looking at the album cover right now. There's no the
0: album U. cover has the U. Nope. Yes, it not does.
1: On I'm, I'm looking on YouTube. Now, they must have done two versions because I'm looking on YouTube now uh, and it does not have it. But I'm going to find a version that does have it. Now, this is interesting.
0: I was but, looking on, I'm looking at the album cover on Wikipedia and it has the U.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. There is a version right here with the U. Right, if you Google image search it, yeah, they've all got the U. But on my YouTube version, it absolutely does not have the U. Everything else is the same. Um. So that's weird, man. Oh yeah. Look, there's basically there's both. Look, I've done a Google image search. If you keep, oh, I see down, one. There's both. Yeah. So they've obviously released it for in the north, in in uh, in the USA without the U.
0: Okay. This was accident. Th- this was not my intention. I was going to make fun of the U. But here we are. There are multiple versions right. of this record with and without the U. There you that go. That is. Awesome.
1: I wonder how many other people have <laughs> noticed that. <laughs>
0: Can't be that, man. I Are didn't notice
1: it? it either way. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think
0: about it. Um, I was going to make, I was going to, you know, you're going to say, used- no, it's it's spelled fine. Yeah, I'm
1: just used to seeing it both ways. So, yeah, because when you said that, I'm thinking about the U because I know that the U is a thing. But yeah, yeah, there you go. Both.
0: I don't understand that U for the record. That U makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, look, I'm with you, man. Yeah, it is unnecessary. um, But, you know, we're just used to it. So whatever. And
0: I only recently understood the pronunciation of the word draft when it's spelled the English way.
1: Oh, D-R-A-U-G-H-T.
0: Yeah, because it's pronounced like laugh.
1: Well, this is a weird, it's the weirdest um, sort of spelling that it can, it can uh, be pronounced in all sorts of different ways. This is the problem. It's like O-U-G-H-T. That can be pronounced like, like that can be through or it can be ought or it can be rough. Like, Wait. What? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, Do
0: people say, do people say drought or drought? We say drought, drought.
1: Yeah. We say D- drought
0: for D R A U G H T.
1: No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm confusing the issue by talking about O U G H. Okay, okay, slightly different thing, but it's similar. Um, but yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Draft like laugh. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I I've read so many books where when I read it in my head, well, not so many, like four or five, but in my head I, I pronounce that as drought. It's a right. drought of beer.
1: Right, right. No draft.
0: I, yeah. I I realized that about a year ago. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I felt like I knew. anyway, moving uh, on. Do we have anything else for the
1: background on this? One? No, not really. Just the, the David Leonard also co-produced it with I'm saying no, but actually, yes, I do. Nick, David Leonard co-produced it with uh, the two guys from the band. And he, I think he, no, he's not Canadian. He's American. He later on produced KD Lang, actually a few years later, possibly through the connection with that guy. Oh, and actually produced Rush's 2004 album Feedback. So there you go. Okay, But, um, but before this, had not produced Rush. Um, he's done like Hootie and the Blowfish, Ace of Bass, Indigo Girls, Alice and Moye, Bare Naked Ladies, um, Soul also Asylum. Canadian, yeah. So, a, f- a few Michelle Shocked, a few Canadian people, Fishbone, Toto as an engineer. So, yeah, various uh, bands are across the stylistic plane. Um, but uh, but anyway. Um, Yeah, I don't really have any other background
0: to this. I have a a little bit more. I I realized that after I asked the question. Yeah. So this is not the first time Getty Lee has gone outside of Rush. Right. Uh, Many fans may think so. However, in the early 80s, he was on a record with Bob and Doug McKenzie from the television show SCTV, Second City Television, which was a rival to... Uh, SNL, so it was a show, a sketch comedy show. Where, right. uh, but it was produced in Canada, produced in Toronto. The kids in the hall, a very famous sketch comedy troupe, later were members of the Second City comedy troupe. Years later, so there was a group, a two, a pair of characters called Bob and Doug McKenzie, played by Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. Okay. Now, these two characters came into existence because sctv was part of i believe it was on cbc which is canadian Broadcasting corporation which is a public funded television station uh-huh. and the prime minister of canada i believe it was do not quote me on that but a high-ranking governmental official complained there were no canadian characters right on the show nobody abjectly canadian so What these two men did was... Abjectly
1: Canadian. I like that. Someone should use that for an album title somewhere. Anyway.
0: So there were no abjectly Canadian, no out Canadians, as it were. So they needed to be Canadian characters on this tax-funded program. So what they did was they came up with the most stereotypical and awful Canadian characters they could. Right. The Mackenzie brothers. Right. So, which, uh, if you've ever seen Strange Brew, that is them. And basically their whole thing was eating back bacon, drinking beer, and donuts. Right. That was okay. basically the whole all thing. The,
1: all the stereotypes, right. Okay. Correct.
0: Okay. And when they did an album, they asked Getty Lee to sing on their song, Take Off. Right. Okay. So they said, well, you know, you they said, Getty, you know, thank you, which I quote all the time because he says, you know, Getty, we... You know you're you're the big Canadian Rush band, big Canadian band from Rush. Want to thank you very much for uh, coming along, eh? And Getty goes, "Hey man, ten bucks is ten bucks."
1: <laughs> Excellent, like it.
0: But at that time, it would only have been seven fifty in American dollars. So, right,
1: indeed, indeed, yeah, man. Okay, well, just last thing then. So the performance and reception of this. So this peaked at number fifty two. On the Billboard chart, so it did all right, not outstandingly, but for, you know, a solo member of a prog rock band, that's pretty good, really. Um, Three singles from the album, all got some mainstream rock radio airplay, but did not chart as far as I can tell. Yeah, I want
0: to, we'll talk about that when we get right before the track by track.
1: Right, right, Um, right.
0: It, it's not. It's not terribly surprising. This album did fairly well, considering at this time uh, Rush was on a hiatus. It's a lot like when uh, Bruce Dickinson released his last solo record. Yeah, it was. It was in a big like hiatus of Iron Maiden. So.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, in terms of reviews, mixed. There's not loads here that I can see, but uh, Metacritic says 58 out of 100. So you know, not absolutely horrific, but not brilliant. There's a three-star review, and then there's a an A review, which I guess is like five star. So we got uh, two
0: two average, one great.
1: Exactly, exactly. But the Metacritic, I guess, is that's supposed to amalgamate all of them. So on average, it's coming out as about just under three star, basically
0: so average yeah yeah yeah
1: okay all right shall we get into the track by track
0: yes let's take a quick break and then we will get into that all right okay all right all we didn't Sorry. say who's leading this one you, want, I don't you know who's you. leading it all right you're talking you're leading
1: okay right track one is the title track my favorite headache it is one of the singles So it kicks in with, I guess, exactly what you might expect from a solo album of a prog rock bass player. It's got a clanky, fast, blues prog bass riff. Type of thing. But then some dark, odd Jane's Addiction guitars come in. They're discordant and odd, but really cool. And this is when you start to think, ah, okay, maybe this Ben Mink guy is not going to play traditional prog rock twiddly guitars. And that that's correct, basically. Spoiler alert. That's correct. Um, vocals come in over this kind of doomy riff with funk drums, which is kind of odd, but sort of works. Um, It's that classic Geddy Lee voice. He's not absolutely screaming um, at at, at the very highest end of his register, but it sounds unmistakably like him and he sounds brilliant. He's on form. A prog chorus. I think it's quite porcupine tree. It's got that modern prog feel. Um, Vocal harmonies. There's a bridge section that it goes to a couple of times, which is like dark 80s pop with string pads. In fact, I'm saying string pads, probably actual strings and pianos. Um, Then you're back to this dark prog funk alt rock thing. Um, There's a nice affecty guitar solo over a repeat of that moody, dark section. Um, Look, it's good. It's a good song. You've got all the stuff in there that prog fans are going to want, apart from a twiddly solo, which is notably absent from the whole record. But um, I think modern prog fans can probably survive without that, potentially. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's perhaps not the most memorable thing that I've ever heard. And I would say it jumps around a lot, perhaps too much. It, from section to section, they're all very, very distinct. Um, but, you know, it's prog rock. So I would say this is absolute um, prog fan fodder. Um, it, it's To me, it's pretty decent, not mind-blowing. But I like the melodies. I like the songwriting. Um, questionable, stylistic mishmash. But, you know, whatever. Let's go with it.
0: Duncan is always going to anchor... The, the musical portion of this when we get into the actual music and I got a good feeling that he is going to say way more than I'm going to say about each song this week <laughs> which is great because he helped me remember these things because I, I listened to this album two or three times today in the car in the kitchen while I was cleaning and cooking and I mean trying to really pull this one in so what I recall from this one what surprised me was I knew this song oh. and I did not think I knew any of the songs off of this album.
1: So, um, you, in other words, you kind of thought it was a Rush song. You felt oh, it, yes, it a Rush song, right?
0: Yes, I remember because this this album comes out in two thousand, and the next Rush album comes out in two thousand and two. After yeah. basically they reunited with Neil right after this whole was done. Yes, so that's why there's no tour because immediately Rush goes into songwriting sessions. Yeah. So. I had forgotten. One well, at that time, the the major radio, the major rock, FM rock station we had, KC95, which is now the longest running rock radio station in America. It's not mm-hmm. the oldest, but it's the longest running because the other ones folded or changed mm-hmm. formats. But they you they they kind of transitioned from a modern rock at any given time station into a cl- the best classic rock and the best new rock into only classic rock. And there were times when they would play the new single from whatever classic rock guy's album. You know, they played Kiss, Kiss's latest singles. They played Leonard Skinner's latest singles back in the early aughts. And as time went on, they started doing that less and less. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, I mean, they didn't play anything Robert Plant has done in 25 years. Sure, sure. So to give you an idea, and this is a station that plays Led Zeppelin every third song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, yet they don't play anything that, that anyway. So I remembered hearing this during that cycle. It did not, it wasn't something that stuck. It was like a, a new Skinner single or a new Kiss single. I'm mm-hmm. repeating myself and I apologize. But I had heard this song, and I remember thinking, this song is kind of eh. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you have that classic Getty Lee vocal. You have that classic Getty Lee bass guitar. And he really overplayed the bass on this record, which is to be expected. I mean, we're talking about one of the, the top five bass players in, you know, classic rock and modern rock at any mm-hmm. given time. And he wrote the album on the bass. So, yeah, you're going to get a lot of bass guitar. Yeah, man. But it's missing all the really cool stuff that I love about Rush.
1: Okay. No, sure, sure. I think I liked it more than you, but I agree this is not the best. It's not mind-blowing. Okay, well, we move on to the present tense, track two. What did you think of this?
0: This one is weird. Uh, And the thing is, is... What I, I quickly learned on this is how much I really appreciate Neil Peart's lyrics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because Getty wrote all the lyrics on this and Neil writes all the lyrics for Rush.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Rush's lyrics are amazing. And these are dumb.
1: I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the, lyrics but i'm i'm going to just get them up now not to read them all but just in case i want to refer to them so yeah
0: okay yeah but it's this is this is another song it just feels like a continuation of the first one you know i you are so much better at picking up the subtleties and the changes in the subtleties than i'll ever be you're much more sensitive to that and this one and this is going to be a running theme for me this week this sounded like the song that led up to it Mm -hmm. for me
1: okay um yeah i didn't quite see it like that so this had a nice bluesy hard rock guitar riff and this was a bit more like rush for me not a not a kind of really prog metal riff but just a decent classic rock riff um Really good chorus hook. You, you were in with the chorus quite early on with that repeated phrase, the present temps, and it was great. That really grabbed me. The harmonies on that were really good as well. It went a bit dreamy 70s prog after that, psychedelic-ish with some trippy synths and some uplifting chords. I didn't think that was as good, but the, the chorus was really strong on this, and I liked that, and I thought his vocals were great. So for me, this was better because that chorus section was was top tier basically um yeah i i'm just looking at the lyrics now i don't think they're amazing but i don't think they're bad they're just kind of um cryptic basically cryptic and ambiguous crawling out secure and confident imbued with innocence ready for the world suddenly the view was more intense living in a different kind of world like yeah it's fine
0: um it's fine but Usually when Geddy Lee sings, it's not fine. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So it's, I'm always going, everyone is always going to compare what you do in your main band to what you do in your solo act. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, no, totally, totally, man. Okay, well, track and I guess, look, at this point, I suppose just to say as well, I was starting to to realise that this isn't going to have loads of um, big guitar solos um, And Apart from and, and actually Even compared to the first song There wasn't That much Like Over the top Proggy Bass Going on So I don't know, in a way for Prague, this is this is sort of restrained. It's more like it feels like Geddy Lee is trying to write a pop album and he can't write a pop album. It's still definitely prog rock. There's no doubt about it, but it feels like he's trying to push it in that direction. Let's get the melodies really to the fore. Let's get the vocal harmonies happening. Let's highlight the lyrics by making the chorus really uh, focused around the title of the track and whatever else. Um, and it's not gonna be the ten-minute drum solo or the the, the the really twiddly lead guitar solo or even the fifteen-minute track. Like there's none of that either. I think these are all like under six minutes, under five minutes. Even they're about.
0: It's about four minutes a track. So
1: yeah, four exactly. And change. One that's five oh six, and that's the longest. Uh, other than right. that, they're all pretty much all four minutes and something, some three minutes and something. So, yeah, I think he's going for pop really. But it still sounds like Prague because he's getting... I mean, you,
0: you keep saying it's Prague but I don't see that. So we're, we're, uh. we're, we're hearing very different things
1: okay well look so try, let's see what we hear on this one it's a window to the world this has jangly uplifting psych prog riffs is what i've said um it's got a catchy chorus which i found slightly pushing towards the cheesy side which i find with rush quite often um but it is pretty good it's like melodic 70s-ish pop prog uh, i don't have much more to say about that it's not mind-blowing but i i i liked it
0: we for me or at the point in the album where it's mushy and it's not that happened
1: already on track three. Wowza. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And I listened to this like three times today. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I can, I, I can show you, I'll, I'll take you on a tour on my phone where I was listening to it. <laughs> and I want to say I was listening to this song the second time at the bank. I had to go to the bank this morning. Right. Right. So uh, yeah. I, it's at the point it's starting to get mushy because, in my mind, uh, Getty Lee does not have a whole lot of range in his vocals. He has one. Year, he's
1: not doing the yeah. He what well, and also he's not doing the really bombastic, screamy stuff very much.
0: But he still sounds the same.
1: Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But still, without sounds like him.
0: But without the intensity. So,
1: yeah, exactly. He's not taking it up to 11 very much on this.
0: I agree. Yeah. Right. So he's not being intense. He's, he's tucking it back. He's going crazy on the bass sometimes. Yeah. But now is when it comes to the, when it, it, it's noticeable to me, huh? So this is what Rush would sound like without, without Neil Peart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause the drums are in no disrespect to Matt Cameron. The drums are pretty ordinary.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm gonna say I really like what the drums are doing, but you're right in the sense that you don't notice the drums at all. The drums are just do they're playing for the song. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like it's pop album sensibility. It's just play what the song needs rather right. than oh yeah. And I'm not saying Neil Putt doesn't play for the song, but I'm saying that the way those songs are constructed is like let's leave space for the Let's let's we want to highlight those virtuosic bits. We want that technicality, so we're gonna construct the song around that. Whereas this is like it's been written on an acoustic guitar or in this case a bass as a pop song, and then the drums are just like, okay, I will slot in around that and be unobtrusive. And I like them, they're really well played, but I totally agree, they're not flashy. Same with the guitars, non-flashy.
0: Correct. And they're, you know, and you had mentioned that there's no twiddly solos. No, and they're not coming.
1: Absolutely, they're not coming. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I've got to say, I don't mind that. I think, think, look, what happened to me as a guitar player growing up, um, as a teenager, I got really into guitars and guitar solos and twiddly solos and what scale they were playing and two-hand tapping and all that stuff. And then I kind of got a bit sick of it. And it's not that I don't like a really good solo. I do but I don't need a solo everywhere. I don't like, I, yeah, I know a guitar can do that, but I don't need you to show me that all the time just for the sake of it. Like, if you're going to do it really well and it fits the song, fine. But I certainly don't, I don't listen to an album for the guitar solos as such. So, you know, I'm, I do. I'm kind of cool with it, but I, yeah, but I, can, I can understand. Um, totally I, I mean,
0: you know, people have asked me that, you know, don't know me terribly well, so like you know, you you seem so normal. How are you listening to these crazy metal songs? Mm. Because that's where the best guitar players are.
1: Well, yeah, there you go, there you go,
0: blues and blues and metal. That's that's where the best guitar players will always be. So that's why I listen to it. I want the sure. twiddles. Sure. I want yeah. the amazing riffs.
1: Yeah, sure, no, no, sure. I get it. So, I totally get it. This is very riff light as well. This record is very riff light. There are riffs but more often they're kind of like chord sequences.
0: Right. It's like it's again, not it's not riffy. It's, it's not, not twiddly. Riffy. It's yeah. not twiddly. It's not it's not bombastic.
1: I think this is kind of why I'm liking it so far because I think I thought I don't know which direction this is going to go in. Is it going to be just super prog tech based muso rock? Or is it going to be like he's going to try and be a singer-songwriter type of dude? And it's kind of more that. And, yeah, I, I actually like it's, that. It's
0: that, but he can't quite do it. Sure, sure. It's it's like, well, you know, how many times have we, we done a, a record by somebody who's tried to change it up? And yeah. they just, they just, it's like trying to drive 50, trying to drive the speed limit when you're a couple of minutes late. Fair it's enough. Just, you just can't quite do it. Well, it may not
1: be perfect, but Geddy Lee was working at being perfect. Do you see what I did there? Oh,
0: I see what you did there, God. Um, Because track four is called? Working at perfect. With a K. With a K. K. Because we're in the
1: future. I think we're in the future and there's robots ruling the world here. At
0: work, we have a robot in a cage, and I didn't know it was pointed out to me. Now I'm like, oh, my God. I know about the robot. So when the robot gets sentience and kills us all, I no longer have plausible deniability. Thank you, Jim.
1: Right. Well, sorry.
0: (laughs) Recently watched The Matrix, too. So for the first time, I watched The Matrix for the first time in 2022. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. People have asked me, how'd you do that? It wasn't easy.
1: Was that I, a pun? I didn't I was, get
0: that. No, I was ignoring it. I was trying to stay away from it.
1: Oh, sorry. Right, I see. So yeah.
0: How did how did you not see the Matrix until twenty twenty two? Wasn't easy.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So
0: working it perfect again for me, it's just this mushy. We're in the meatloaf chunk of the record for me, and whew, we're gonna be there for a little while for me. It's just nothing really sticks out at this point. It's nondescript Getty Lee solo tracks with. Okay. And that's just, that's just what I'm going to say a lot. And I'm sorry, but that's Fair enough. Got. No,
1: I've got to totally disagree on this one. This is where it started doing exactly what I really wanted it to do without even knowing that's what I wanted. It was, um, so It starts with a nice, moody, brooding, jangly riff, but it's got these pulsating synths behind, and it's a great combination. It doesn't quite sound like anything else, but it works. Great vocal lines. He does build up to a nearly his full scream, Not quite full, but he's getting there on this with his voice. Um, it gets heavy-ish in places. The dynamics are great. The chorus, really emotive. Really like it. Just a great proggy pop chorus. Um, Some contemplative sections with some really nice tasteful synths alternating with powerful choruses. Really like it. Again, reminds me of Porcupine Tree a lot. Great song. Um,
0: I I wish I could get this much or a half of that out of this. (laughs) You know, some might argue that I'm not giving this my due diligence by cleaning the kitchen or cooking pancakes while i'm listening to these i disagree because what it says to me is how great the song is a song in 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 my lifetime you know for the most part we don't listen to songs just yeah listen to songs as a part of an activity and if a song can't cut through the activity
1: yeah no i'm with you man i know what you're saying absolutely
0: I'm just defending myself against no one that's attacking me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, is it, is it me then? So, so, all right. Runaway train then again um, starts with these, like you've got twin guitars going on playing kind of harmony riffs, uh, not, not metal riffs, but almost like Bruce Springsteen or Neil Young kind of, bluesy rock riffs but really nice and you've also got pulsating synths again in the background really works um great really emotive and powerful when it all kicks in i feel like this is almost like a neil young song just with different production um, more bleepy bleepy um keeps building and building again wonderful dynamics which i really think work to a strong chorus, um, really nice melodies, great vocal harmonies, big guitar chords, not really riffs, but big chords, synths, then back to the bluesy riffs again, the twin guitars. And yeah, it's, it's got echoes of like Bruce Springsteen here. It's, it's anthemic, uplifting, melodic rock, but it's got a soul, it's got heart. Um, Just a hint of prog, Um, you know, some of the chord sequences are a little bit progressive and there's a couple of time signature jumps and there's the bleepy synth. But again, great song for me. Really liked it. And I know you're going to totally disagree with me on everything I've just said.
0: Yeah, totally am. Um, It's got soul, it's got farts for me. And I think what it is, is the music is so (laughs) subtle comparatively. Yes, it is. Compared to what Neil Pert normally does, it is extraordinarily subtle.
1: Well, because Neil Peart's not on it, so I'm yeah. sorry. Well, not <laughs> uh,
0: compared Getty to Lee. what Getty Lee normally does, it is extraordinarily subtle.
1: Yeah,
0: I and mean, it's not bombastic. It's not big. Yeah, I and mean, where Rush is big and bombastic, but yeah the whole time Getty Lee's voice stays the same.
1: Yeah, I, I can, I can completely see this. And I, I think this whole thing about it not being bombastic or big or in your face or full of huge um, technical drum solos and all this, I, I think that's why I like it because it doesn't just do. Yeah. Or, or, prog rock by numbers or let's just try and do rush without it being rush. I, I, I feel there's a bit more, he's trying to be a singer songwriter. He's trying to get his uh, Mm -hmm. emotional songs out of his system. Um, It's still got a big rock backing, but it's just not that technical hard rock. It's more like, yeah, it's subtle. Subtle's the word and I like it.
0: Right. And it's a change up, right? Yeah. You know, I'm looking for that 95 mile an hour fastball. And he's throwing this 75 and I've swung and I've missed and he's celebrating and I'm going, when's the ball going to get here? And I can't, you know, I love, I am the guy that loves solo records. Uh I have everything Roger Waters has ever put on vinyl.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Under
0: the Roger Waters name Uh and multiple bootlegs. I have David Gilmore solo records. I have Ace Frehley. I have what Bruce Kulick did outside of kiss. I love solo records but the solo records I love most are by the people who were the heart and soul of a band. Mm-hmm. And what my favorite headache has taught me is that is not Getty Lee. Well, fair enough, fair enough. I'm, I'm not going to say he's a passenger or whatever, but he is not the backbone. He is a part of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the music he does without that filtration is less exciting to me than what he does in it.
1: Yeah, fair enough, I totally get it, totally get it. Um, Okay, The Angels Share, track six, what do you make of it?
0: I have no recollection of this. (laughs) I'm sorry, I really don't. I mean, I'm hoping you'll say something that'll remind me of it, but you have gotten so much amazing stuff out of these songs that I'm not getting that I don't think that's (laughs) gonna happen.
1: OK, well, this this one I I'm going to say now I didn't like as much. Um, it starts with acoustic guitar strumming at steady pace and it comes in with strings, quite Beatles-esque arrangements. There um,
0: is a bunch of that on this album. Yeah. And yeah. none of it is really any good. Sure.
1: Yeah, I don't think it quite works. It's that psychedelic kind of uh bendy strings and uh, for want of a better uh, word melodic vocals it's all a bit cheesy there's a twinkly twinkly string synth thing I think it's a synth that comes in later it, it makes it even more cheesy there are some really nice vocal harmonies um and there's a quite a cool reverse guitar solo thing but yeah this is it's like they were experimenting with something and it just doesn't quite work for me so That's- I that's think
0: a lot of this whole album for me.
1: Yeah, I think how I feel about this one is probably how you feel about the whole thing. Like, yeah, this one left me a bit flat, I have to yeah, say. Yeah,
0: and there, there's a bunch of times where, and I, I'm going to wager that in those in those acoustic Atari moments, that's probably Getty playing them rather than Mr. Me. Yeah, Mink. I
1: think he's credited as guitar as well. Yes, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And, you know... A lot of guitar players can be very good bass players, but mm. it doesn't ever really seem to go the other way.
1: Maybe, yeah. And I, I mean, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with the playing, but it's just—I uh, don't know—it's just all a bit boring, all a yeah. bit trite. <laughs> um, it, it's
0: boring. It's trite. It's mushy. It's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's how I feel about all of the acoustic work <laughs> on this record.
1: Fair enough, man. Yeah, and there's
0: yeah. there's way more than there, there probably should. There's like three or four tracks, if memory serves, that are these you know, jangly cowboy cory. I, I can't remember specifically which songs they are, but whenever they came up, I remember hearing going, "Uh, oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, all right." Well, track seven, moving to Bohemia. This starts with more bluesy hard rock riffs. Then it goes dark and brooding and kind of Eastern inspired. And then you've got some really great vocals that come in, but it changes around a lot, 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 lot. It keeps going between double time and half time. At one point it breaks down to just strings and vocals, just like cellos, maybe some violins and stuff and vocals. There's some interesting bits and I I quite like that it's experimental and doesn't quite sound like anything else and doesn't quite fit into one style. But for me, this one doesn't hang together great. It's just a lot of ideas all thrown at the wall and I just can't quite get my teeth into it and I can't quite make sense of it.
0: What we have here is a song that it was written for musicians yeah and you know i remember you're you know you're talking about the 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 time signature changes and the tempo changes forever ago i'm sitting with and yes i play guitar would i call myself a musician no sure no so to make that clear so i'm sitting with my buddy he comes over and my buddy was a bass player his dad was a bass player and you know that was the family tree and he was in a, a really good, like progressive alternative metal band called Kitsch. Uh,
1: uh-huh.
0: pretty good, pretty good out, pretty good band, I thought. I've got their cassette EP somewhere. But uh-huh. so we're listening to this album. He puts it in my my stereo and and he's like, you know, there's so much here that a non-musician would never understand. And I looked at him and I went, Oh, come on, man, because I know music. And he's like, Did you hear that time change? Oh, they changed it again. Yeah. Did you hear it?
1: Which is fine, but if that's the only thing to recommend about the music, if that's the only commendable element of the music, then to me, that's not good music. If it's I just agree. musicians to tick a box and go, oh, did you, oh, no, it might sound terrible, but didn't you know he has to move his arm in this way to play that? And that's really impressive. Like, I don't care. Nobody cares, really. Like, Nobody cares about out. that.
0: The only person that's able to make a career out of that is Steve Vai no yeah, one else exactly. can
1: which is why I'm um, you know stuff
0: like I Steve know Bye, you don't I, like Steve I, Bye. I,
1: you know well, no look it's not that I don't like him look, I, I do massively appreciate what it does some of it does move me but a lot of the time I'm just like yeah look it's just this is this is just more showing off.
0: you don't have look it's fine you don't have to like Steve by I yeah. like him enough for both of us so <laughs> but I mean that's yeah. and that's kind of what I'm hearing about this album is I can't hear. What's really happening? Because I'm not that connected to making and creating music.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair so enough.
0: We we come in with very different perspectives,
1: mm-hmm. just
0: as human beings. I come in listening for the song, looking for the history, finding the context, and the history is he was bored, had nothing to do. Also the context, and but the music doesn't speak to me. It nothing. Sure. Has spoken to me past the first couple of tracks.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, well, track eight, Home on the Strange. Do you remember this one?
0: No. This is a single,
1: uh, by the way. This is a single. This is,
0: I don't I never heard the single. I can tell you right now, Home on the Strange. That is pretentious bullshit. Just <laughs> trying to. It's okay. I, I don't remember anything under the last one specifically. That's okay. And that's so weird because of how much I've listened to this album today, day.
1: <laughs> okay, well, shall I lead on this one then? So oh,
0: yeah, lead on the rest of it. I mean, just please.
1: Okay, so look. Start Give our listeners something about
0: the songs.
1: Bombastic I'm not. frog funk riffs. These were bombastic riffs. Major key vocal melodies. Goes through a few changes. A few too many changes, possibly. It's got a catchy-ish chorus hook, but this, like Home on the Strange, this is indeed strange. It, it like, again, it's going through so many changes and I don't think they really work together. I think the whole premise of it, it's like basically someone wrote a weird riff that's kind of bad, but because it didn't sound much like anything else and was seemed original, they've gone, this is cool. I don't think it was ever cool. Then they've gone, right, let's just put another weird riff that doesn't really sound like anything in as well, but it sounds nothing like the first one either. Then something else, and then let's just call it Home on the Strange, because it's strange. Yeah, No, this one does not really work for me. It's it's just too many changes, too much going on, and not enough to hang on to.
0: I, I forget what album it was, but what you're describing reminded me very much of it. There was an album where they were constantly changing, where right. they changed so much that everything sounded the same.
1: Yeah. I remember. we. I remember this album. Is it one that we did? Yeah.
0: Yeah. One we did. Yeah. One I we remember did. this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I remember it, saying that. Yeah. The normal trying, loads of changes and it's like, yeah. Oh, loads of changes again. It's all the same. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, move on to Slipping. Yeah.
1: And I was like, my first thing here is like, this is what the album's doing at the moment. It's slipping, man. I, you know, I. it started off quite good. Then it got really good. Then it went eh, and then it's really going down the toilet now. But what happens here? We've got a piano arpeggio intro, then some acoustic guitars and brooding mid to fast paced drums. It's a bit balladish, emotional vocals and lyrics. I think he pulls it off. Some great melodies from Lee and it's convincing. Great um, chorus, emotional without being cheesy. Um, really good bridge, powerful vocal harmonies. Um, I like it. I'm into this one. I think it's redeemed itself. It's, I'm not saying it's quite up there with those two that I really, really liked, but it's good
0: you know, when Duncan says it's emotional without being cheesy, that is the highest English praise he can give because the, the English are not as emotional and forthcoming as we are here in America. So that that's big praise from him Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Again, this is just, you know, moving on.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Well, we're on the, no, we're not on the last track. We're on the penultimate track, which is called still. So it's got big proggy guitar riffs and piano and strings it breaks down to an acoustic guitar based thing, which you don't like, um, with melancholy vocals. Again, pretty good. Um, strong chorus, slightly on the cheesy side. I'll be honest. I'd yeah. say pretty good. Emotional pop, prog, rock. It is a bit cheesy. Um, if you're into your prog that just verges into cheese territory, I think you will be totally fine with it. Me, the- Yeah, pushing it.
0: The, the last little chunk of this record is very cheesy pie. Uh, if you had some macaroni, you wouldn't need to buy the cheese. You're already good. And, you know, it's. I know it's a solo record. I know it's his first try and he doesn't know what he's doing. But the real issue is he doesn't know what to do.
1: Yeah, and no, I can see that. I can see that.
0: And then we move on into the final track, Grace to Grace. Which I'm assuming is about somebody's kid. Cause it seems like you always end a bad record with a song about somebody's kid. So then, <laughs>
1: like Brandon from like the, Brandon. the True Record, yeah. So
0: then if you, in, you know, uh, uh, Paul Stanley's, uh, he didn't end it, but Paul Stanley's um, I Will Be There, the the song for his kid. So it seems like every well, I'm sorry, every very poorly received album has a song about somebody's kid. So I'm assuming this is someone's kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, and yeah.
0: it's arpeggio jangly chord cowboy crap.
1: <laughs> okay, um,
0: I. Duncan Duncan just disagreed with me wholeheartedly.
1: Uh, yeah, I like this one. Um, this was a single as well. It starts with a hard rock guitar riff, kicks in fastish nice vocals from geddy lee and i'm feeling the the, the hard rock vibes are uh, flowing from from geddy lee on this particular track breaks down to a tender bit with synth pads and hi-hats and vocals. And I like that. It keeps breaking down to this tender bit that is a, a, an unusual addition to this sort of track, but it works. We, we, you know, you've, It's unexpected, but works, rather than it just being like, oh, that's wrong, like some of the other <laughs> changes. Um, really nice riff as well. Some great melodies, vocal harmonies as it moves through the sections. Great, nice, big rock chorus. Really good dynamics, um, nice dreamy slide guitar, mini solo as well. Um, I like that. I think it was a good good end to the album. Um, so, look, I guess we're moving into the sum up here um, in the last uh, couple of minutes. Um, yeah, look, you know what? For me, this is definitely flawed. It is not perfect at all, but I really like the feel of it. I really like the production. I like hearing Geddy Lee. Um, take this approach where he's being more of a singer-songwriter backed up by musicians playing for the song rather than the song being constructed a little bit more around uh, bombastic riffs, solos and things like that. I think there are some fantastic songs on here. I would say probably out of 11, there's probably six really good strong songs, um, which is just over half. And I would say there's probably within that, like two outstanding ones, Another two very good ones and another two decent ones. Yeah, OK, there's probably five songs that you could lose from this. Um, so, but that's more than half that I think are good. And overall, I like the feel of the album. So for me, it is a spinet. It. It's kind of on the border, but it's definitely into spinet territory just for me. Um, so I think modern prog rock fans will like it um not dream theater more porcupine tree
0: okay just for the record i have no idea who porcupine tree is
1: oh a cool band man like prog you or, have
0: been talking they, about them all band, day right. and i'm like i don't know who those people are <laughs> you should uh, check
1: that out man yeah yeah cool cool <laughs> band like a modern british prog band basically I, i'm gonna don't say they are in the u.s they might not be known at all in the u.s I don't i'm know. just
0: gonna point out the fact that you have been referencing them in in a good way to this album no i don't think i do uh this album could have been a single uh, a single 45 and had been just as good for me in fact way better once you get past the first couple of songs it just becomes meatloaf and every slice of this meatloaf for me is just exactly the same as the one before it so clearly i'm a bennett i am never going to listen to this again and i regret the time i spent listening to it um (laughs) You know, when, when we do these things, we just pick something and nine times out of 10, neither of us have heard the album. And I have not, I had not heard this. I didn't even realize I had heard the opening single, My Favorite Mistake, which the lyrics were absolutely terrible. There was nothing nihilistic about it, even though he says, I'm sorry for being nihilistic. And that kind of sets the tone. And that's just where I am. So I'm going to stop because I'm just going to. Shit on Getty Lee, and I don't want to do that. Um, anything else, Duncan?
1: Uh-huh. Uh, no, I think that's it. It's a spin it from me. I enjoyed it. Um, check it out if you like Porcupine Tree.
0: Definitely check it out if you like Porcupine Tree. Uh,
1: well, I, I will say your Porcupine Tree track to check out, Nick. So
0: oh, I see there just popped up on my phone. Hey, I will check out. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. We will catch you next week.
1: Goodbye.